text from Brock, a picture of his father carrying some large box out of the truck. And Brock wrote that he had had a Tetris master load the truck and had a Tetris master <laughs> unloading the truck. <laughs> so there it is. All it's right. a lost art. Well, I'm afraid the next generation cannot carry it along. Yeah. <laughs> I guess the good news is he, his dad wasn't in the back with the broom sweeping things out of the truck. That's you know? right. That's right. <laughs> Little pieces, parts. All right. Uh, we're on page 15 in this uh, cool little diddle, and um, the second blessing was uh, actually composed by Joshua. So uh, let's have Joshua's brother pick us up with, we thank you. We thank you, Adonai, our God, because you have given to our forefathers as a heritage, a desirable, good, and spacious land, because you have removed us, Adonai, our God, from the land of Egypt, and you redeemed us from the house of bondage. For your covenant that you sealed in our flesh, for your Torah that you taught us, and for your statutes that you have made known to us, for life, grace, and loving kindness that you granted us, and for the provision of food with, with which you nourish and sustain us constantly, in every day, in every season, and in every hour. Continue with your step there. For all, honor our God, we thank you and bless you. May your name be blessed by the mouth of all the living, continuously for all eternity. As is written, and you shall eat, and you shall be satisfied, and you shall bless Adonai your God for the good land he gave you. Bless you, Adonai, for the land and for the nourishment. Amen. And uh, Jonathan, yes. would you uh, pick us up with have mercy, my good friend? Have mercy, we beg you, Adonai our God, on Israel, your people, on Jerusalem, your city, on Zion, the resting place of your glory, on the monarchy of the house of David, your anointed and on the great and holy house upon which your name is called, our God, our Father. Tend us, nourish us, sustain us, support us, relieve us. Adonai, our God, grant us speedy relief from all our troubles. Please make us not needful, Adonai, our God, of the gifts of human hands or of their loans, but only of your hand that is full, open, holy, and generous, that we not feel inner shame nor be humiliated, Forever and ever. Now, in the days of the Master, the apostles, the disciples, all of them that came from southern Jerusalem sounded just like him. <laughs> Southerners. Southerners. Shalom, y'all. Rising up. First paragraph in the pink, sir. Still make it down at the bottom. Absolutely. No, nope. first paragraph in the pink. In the pink. First, third. Where are we at? May it be. May it please you, Adonai our God, give us rest through your commandments and through the commandment on the seventh day, this great and holy Sabbath. For this day is great and holy before you to rest on it and to be content on it in love, as ordained by your will. May it be your will, Adonai our God, that there be no distress, grief, or lament on this day of our contentment. And show us, Adonai our God, the consolation of Zion, your city, and the rebuilding of Jerusalem city of your holiness, for you are the master of salvations and master of consolation. Bottom of page. Bring him on. Rebuild Jerusalem, the holy city, soon and in our days. Blessed are you, Adonai, who rebuilds Jerusalem in his mercy. Amen. Amen. All right. Mr. Martin, if you would be so kind. Didn't he do a great job today? Mm -hmm. Always. It's, it's astonishing how prepared he is and what a great example he is to old and young alike. Don't make any mistakes now. Please. Competence. <laughs> what, what page were we? <laughs> 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 Page 
king of the universe, the Almighty, our Father, our King, our Sovereign, our Creator, our Redeemer, our Maker, our Holy One, the Holy One of Yaakov, our Shepherd, the Shepherd of Israel, the King who is good and who does good for all. For every single day, He did good, He does good, and He will do good to us. He was bountiful with us, He is bountiful with us, and He will forever be bountiful with us. With grace, with kindness, and with mercy, with relief, salvation, success, blessing, help, consolation, sustenance, support, mercy, life, peace, and all good. And of all good things, may He never deprive us. All right, we're, we're up to that point of responsiveness. The compassionate one. May he reign over us forever. The compassionate one. May he bless in heaven and on earth. The compassionate one. May he be praised throughout all generations. May he be glorified through us forever in the ultimate and be honored through us forever and for all eternity. The compassionate one. May he sustain us in honor. The compassionate one. May he break the yoke of oppression from our necks and guide us erect to our land. The compassionate one. May he send us abundant blessings to this house and on this table. May it be God's will that this host not be shamed or humiliated in this world or in the world to come. May it be successful in all his dealings. May his dealings be successful and be really close at hand. May no evil impediment bring over his handiwork. And may no someone who's a sin or an equal spot attach itself to him from this time and forever. Amen! The compassion of one. The compassion of one, may he bless me, my wife, and my children, and my grandchildren, and all that is mine. Ours and all that is ours, just as our forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were blessed in everything, from everything, and with everything. So may he bless us all together with a perfect blessing, and let us say, Amen. Mr. Bartos. Awesome. Bota. Would you finish it up? Perfect. On high, may merit be pleaded upon them and upon us for a safeguard of peace. May we receive a blessing from Adonai and just kindness from the God of our salvation, and find favor and good understanding in the eyes of God and man. The compassionate one, may he cause us to inherit the day that will be completely a Sabbath and rest day for eternal life. The compassionate one, may he make us worthy of the days of Messiah Yeshua and the life of the world to come. He who is a tower of salvations to his king and does kindness for his anointed to David and to his descendants forever. He who makes peace in his heights, may he make peace upon us and upon all Israel. Now respond. Amen. Fear Adonai, you his holy ones, for there is no deprivation for his reverent ones. Young lions may want and hunger, but those who seek Adonai will not lack any good. Give thanks to Adonai, for he is good. His kindness endures forever. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Blessed is the man who trusts in Adonai, then Adonai will be his security. I was a youth and also of age, and I have not seen a righteous man forsaken with his children begging for bread. Adonai will give might to his people. Adonai will bless his people with peace. Amen. I am so grateful for the Martin young men, because they not only gather up these books for me, but they also make sure that there's only eight in each one of the little sleeves there. Right? Right. Yeah. And they're well spoken and good at math. <laughs> and there it is. And chess. And chess. Huh? Yeah. And, he, and they <laughs> like Star Trek. Well, some of you, I don't know. Don't I make an assumption. I like Star Trek. Okay.
Are you going to teach from afar or works for me? I think my voice will carry. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Your voice? You got <laughs> That's never been a question. <laughs> This is the problem. Your voice. I could buy him in any store, anywhere. All you had to do was speak. That's it. That's the I'm sure when he was in the womb, he could be heard. He was. Y'all are kind of color coordinated on that couch. That's sweet. Y'all ranked that, right? We did, actually. Who called who? Group chat. I think the, uh, the only thing we want to remind people of, especially if they're uh, listening remotely, would be uh, we have prayers Tuesday morning here at 10 a.m. And we have prayers at Mr. Bartos' house Monday morning a week at 10 a.m. And uh, for those of you unfamiliar with prayers on a Yom Tov, uh, we will be using a Machzor, and a Machzor is a sitter that is intended to be for that one holiday. If you don't have a Machzor, there's two things that can happen. Number one, you use the one, the complete sitter you have now, and you flip pages left and right until your fingers begin to bleed. <laughs> or you use the top shelf on the right over there and borrow a mock sore for the prayers. I've already put one aside for you, so you're good to go. Um, if your bride comes, you're probably going to have to share. But if you it's together in this thing, and we're into that. There is no woman, women's mock sore. That is correct. There is no such thing as a woman's mock sore. So. What you're saying is if you own a mock sore and leave it at home, we your host. Well, it's bleeding fingers. Yeah, there it is. So, so that's the deal. And uh, the if you look on the top shelf on the right over there, there's paperback Moxarim, and those are very inexpensive. So if your eyes are still good, you're not as old as Mr. Martin and Mr. Spurlock and myself, then uh, you can go with a little teeny weeny itsy bitsy Moxarim. Otherwise, full size is available. They actually have a large print now, which is pretty cool. Uh, so that's the deal. So, Moxarim, if you got it, if this is your first year doing these, then, you know, after the holiday, you uh, you want to invest in a Moxor. Have you made an electronic version yet? I have not. It's and uh, there is actually an electronic version of a sitter out from Art School now that has really stopped me in my tracks from continuing on my project because it's so good. The downside is... Of course, since it's an orthodox publication and an orthodox piece of software, or actually a piece of software provided by the orthodox, it, it will not work on the Sabbath. And therefore, it won't work on a Yom Tov. Um, so. It's a great weekday option. It's awesome on the weekday, and you don't have to worry about gray boxes because it's a smart sitter and it turns itself on and pops things up with a minion, without a minion, it does it all for you, and it builds it on the fly. So. It's a great product from Art Scroll, and it doesn't cost a lot of money. Uh -huh. So, yeah. chance of me putting together a Moxor. Does it count the minion? <laughs> it doesn't count the minion, but it will tell you where you can go to get a minion. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it, it actually looks like Face recognition want. now. <laughs> <laughs> We've counted you already. <laughs> yeah. It'd right. probably be like, eh, eh, non Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs>
So after Shabbat, you and I need to work on this, right? Yeah. yeah. All right. So there we go. I think that's it. Oh, and uh, our final announcement is again, uh, as I told you earlier, uh, Joe Gordon went in the hospital on Monday. Uh, heart throughput is uh, down to about 10%. Kidneys are not doing well, and he is in ICU and cannot have visitors. Um, and I heard from Lynn this morning that he's probably not going to be able to ever go back to work again at the same level that he was at. Of course, most humans couldn't go back to work at the same level he was at. Um, True. So their family needs prayer and uh, visits. So we got it. But not Mr. right now because they're not accepting visitors. Yeah, you can't Family get in can unless I got in once when he couldn't get visitors, but I told him I was his rabbi. Oh, and it worked. That's true. Rabbi means he's anyway, anyway, talking about this weird <laughs> weird accent. I'm his rabbi. You have to remember that if you happen to be a firstborn, like myself, Monday is a fast day, uh, in honor of the fact that those of us who were firstborn were on, the, were on the docket to not be okay when we <laughs> again, but God in his mercy passed over, <laughs> and, we're, and we're still here. That's right. Amen. Let's eat. No, let's not eat. No. Right. Tradition holds you need a very small something like late afternoon. That was a good reminder. Um, this is the other. Oh. I pack my food now. I wake up early in the morning. So. I would have forgotten. Anyway, thank you, Morgan, for reminding me. Yes. Um, that was a good point. Wow. Oh boy. Gosh, why you blushing? Is there a spot on another couch? No. No. We don't play those games. Oh, Yeah, no, uh, but yes, you could remind her you can have something prior to the Seder. Did you do the same research? I knew this. It was a He actually. Uh, somebody emailed her. Yeah, you emailed her? They got only It's actually first for design article. No, no, no. What if one of the family members. Did you email her? One of the family members just emailed that. I can't remember who it was. But suffice it to say that um, this, is, this is a good thing to know and a good thing to do, I think. Um, but in the Orthodox tradition, normally, if there's any kind of easy fast like this, sunrise to sunset kind of thing, of one of the tractates of the Talmud. So if you're reading through the Talmud, traditionally, you'd read faster or slower to make sure that you're going to end and have a party on that. In fact, I believe the fast of the firstborn, um, there was a community that had a tradition in which they would, uh, the community would pitch in and throw a community wedding 
for the poor couples who couldn't afford their own wedding. There you go. So they would have a reason to, to break the fast that's on, right. the, on the, the right. air. So is there anybody that can get married this Monday? Anybody? Again, can get married again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Our anniversary is tomorrow. Oh. <laughs> I think we should celebrate on Monday. <laughs> It is yours, Mr. Spurlock. Yes. Well, we're on the subject yeah. of the firstborn fest. Um, we have a, a running um, debate in the family as yeah. to whether or not Greg should do it. Firstborn of his father, but not of his mother. Well, there's also the secondary debate of whether or not you should do it. That is a secondary debate. Since you're the firstborn of your father and mother, but not the firstborn male. What I, what I, I just don't do it. You should do whatever you want to do. As, as a host as well. I usually don't. You should do whatever you want to do, but firstborn is usually from your mother. That's what I was thinking. Open that's, that's current halakha, because you're Jewish from your mother's womb. But before that was the halakha, it would be the man. No, no, firstborn, I think, is always firstborn of your mother's womb. Open your mother's womb. Open the mother's womb. So you're not. Or, or if you want, you can always. But you should do whatever, you should do whatever you want. But you could fast on behalf of your brother, who is not old. Right, that's true. Piety is measured differently for you, I promise. For those of you listening uh, from afar, the face we just saw in Mr. Bartow. That's right. That's right. He likes fasting on Oh, yes, another unique opportunity. Let's hear it. We have six. Sports. <laughs> Unbelievable! <laughs> wow. This is a great day for you to take off from doing anything with regard to food. That's, that's a great thing for your family. That really is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very. It gives me chills. Six. I've already given my son a heads up that he will have to join me at some point. <laughs> right. That's one no and a half years. That's right. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. All right, let's stop eating and start feeding. Mm. Okay. Um, yes, we're in Parashat Tzav. And uh, so I was thinking about uh, the, the offerings. And there's an interesting conversation about two of the offerings, the guilt offering and the sin offering. And um, what it reminded me of is about the importance of relationship when you do something wrong. So, Mike, I have a question for you. When you, I mean, on a rare occasion that you happen to something you shouldn't do. Very um, rare. What are some things that you do to try to fix the situation? Micah, what are some things that you do? Do something you say? Who do you, what do you say to someone that you've hurt or offended? Uh, ask forgiveness. Ask forgiveness, okay, very good. That's better than saying you're sorry. So much better. That works, absolutely. And, um, but let me ask you, if you were to ask for forgiveness, uh, while you were stepping on the person's toes on purpose, <laughs> do you think that they would fix the situation? No. No. 
Because see, the idea is that the offerings are kind of like the asking for forgiveness. The offering is an action that the people did to connect again with God after they had done something wrong, but the offering in of itself wasn't sufficient. We actually read in this portion about talking about the, the um, talking about the festival offering that if they intended in their minds to eat it at a time they weren't supposed to, it didn't count. And in the same way, God says in the prophets um, that repeatedly that the offerings by themselves, uh, with a heart that wasn't alongside that, was disinteresting to him. In fact, it was it was profane to him because it was that it was like exactly what we're talking about. We laugh because it seems so ridiculous that you would insult someone while trying to apologize and do it on purpose. But that's exactly what, what, what we do when we, we, we do not obey God, but then try to somehow pretend like everything's okay. Right. And that's essentially what, what's going on here. What's amazing is that the guilt offering and the sin offering are called most holy. They are they're special offerings in this time. And I think that's really kind of cool because I think it emphasizes the significance. I mean, they're also they're they're burnt. You know, they're they're, uh, they're killed in the same place as the burnt offering. The burnt offering is where the uh, is of course the the symbol of giving your whole your everything to God. Um, and yet the sin offering and the guilt offering they're not like I think the the mistake is to somehow think that they're simply a um, we're using a big word here propitiation for the sin. Um, in exchange, I sinned, so therefore someone to, has to die. Someone has right to die until so the end. <laughs> and that's really that's an insufficient view of it. There is some element to there to that, indeed. But I think that the bigger thing is it's about building that relationship with God. When we talking about saying you're sorry, not mattering, um, words by themselves really aren't enough. You need to change your actions, do something. Um, I know that sometimes in our household, I'll do something stupid. This happens, hopefully, so rare. very rare. Oh. Um, and, and then, you know, I'll try to apologize. And oftentimes, like, it's like, well, you can't take back what you did. You know, and it's like, so I'm saying I'm sorry, and Juliana gets over it. But it helps so much more on those rare occasions where I did something dumb that I can somehow do something to, to work on it. Remember one time I was, it was, it, we, were, we had planned to read a book at night. I did, I, I got distracted and wasted a lot of time doing my own thing and, and it was almost time for bed, or it was basically time for bed, and we missed our chance to read. This was disappointing. Um, so I decided, you know what? I'll just, I'll get less sleep. I got out of bed, grabbed, grabbed, turned the light, grabbed our book, sat, and it fixed everything. Juliana was, was so happy that I had tried to do something to make up for my mistake. And, um, and so that's essentially what the offerings were intended to be. It was a step, an action that you could do to tell God, this is, this, I really am sorry for what happened. And God considers that to be beautiful. It's most holy. So it's not what you say or what you think, but what you do? And yet, what you say and what you think ties into what you're doing. So it's all part of the same package. If what you think is out of line with what you're doing, then it's shallow and incomplete. But if all you're doing is thinking, then it's not doing anything either, literally. Just I have this intro song mm -hmm. in the... Good Nick is really good. Oh, yeah. Can you take like yeah. five minutes? First of all, let me just say <coughs> I'm so pleased and honored to have a son that reads to his wife. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's just so cool. Anyway, uh, this is actually on the song. And the, the part of the reason why I, I like this is because even though I think I understand the offerings, Vaikra and this as well, it's like together, you're just like, I mean, after a while, you're just like, okay. 
it, you know, we're not doing this, so it's like, okay, great, great, great. I mean, it's, it's most holy, but what does that mean to me? I mean, it's, it's very hard to, for us to relate to that. But this, that's why I thought this was really good, because it says, do we really have free choice? Most people tend to view this as a yes or no quest, type of question. But the correct answer is, in fact, yes and no. The inner core of the soul is totally at one with God. This is like Romans 7. Paul says, in my inner soul, I completely am in obedience to God. The inner core of the soul is totally at one with God. At this subconscious level, the soul of every Jew wishes to observe all the commandments to avoid transgressing any prohibitions. There is no desire for evil here. There simply is no other option other than doing good. Amen. At the conscious level, however, here we interact with the superficial layers of the soul's complex psyche. Here there is room for both good and evil. Here the soul's inner desires to observe all that is folk is felt only as a weaker signal. Sounds so much like Paul in Romans. Absolutely. Which is susceptible to interference from the opposing messages from our, uh, from our animalistic instincts. So at the conscious level, we do indeed possess free choice. I do what I don't want to do. I don't do what I do want to exactly do. Exactly so right. Cool. It's like, who will save me from this body of sin? So yeah. thanks be to our Messiah. Lord, Messiah. In general, the Torah speaks to our conscious mind. We are told to observe the commandments with a full awareness of what we are doing, and we are charged with bringing an awareness of spirituality into normal daily lives. However, at this conscious level, we are susceptible to being drawn away from a life of holiness or stifled by the limitations that the world appears to present. So while most of the commandments were given to the conscious part of the soul, God saw it necessary to give some commandments which speak directly to the inner core of the soul, helping the soul's unlimited energy and total commitment to good to flow outwards to the conscious mind. These special commandments help us stay in tune with our subconscious commandment uh, commitment to Judaism while our conscious observance becomes becomes strained or limited. With most commandments, God told Moshe to, to address the Jewish people with the term davar or uh, omer, say, that is speak or say. While the mitzvot are conveyed with these terms are of course obligatory, the more passive, indirect mood of the word speak and say, instead of you must do it, it says speak to the children of Israel, say to the children of Israel, it's more passive. Indicating these commandments are directed at the superficial layer of the soul, which possesses free choice. Our parsha, in contrast, uses the more direct imperative, tzav, command, alluding to a type of uh, commandment which speaks to the soul's inner core that does not possess free choice and is simply commanded to, to obey God's will. These special commandments, which are included in our parsha, are aimed at helping our inner identity of unquestioned and uninhibited commitment to our faith, the surface in everyday life. Mm -hmm. So, if you take it in terms of the Messianic scriptures, the Epsilon scriptures, and Paul, and you and you relate it this way, it's like there are certain mysteries that speak to our innermost being, and they, if we if we study them and if we delight in them, they actually can affect our our outermost being, and it positively affects our free choices. So, when we read these portions and we talk about these offerings, understanding the significance of that in relation to Messiah as well. We're, we should be heartened by it, and we should be encouraged to be obedient in those things that we have a choice. Hmm. Yeah, and I mean, the, you know, the idea that you, just by studying, it's like you're keeping the commandments of... That's all we can do right now, it is, with right. regard to these. It's the best that you can do right now, and, um, and, and 
Juliana was telling me about Rabbi Jonathan Sachs uh, discussing the idea of like the um, that the uh, Mayan people they got towards the end of their civilization panicked didn't know what was going on so they decided to have you know huge amounts of human sacrifice which is an ironic way to save the civilization <laughs> right? um, but the uh, the problem was they it was like they whatever they were doing wasn't working and they couldn't figure out what to do differently because they were stuck in that concept. And Judaism didn't get trapped and the temple was destroyed. Judaism like they 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 had the tools in scriptures to see what to do without the offerings. Right. Not that that's an ideal state, but how do you what do you do now now that you don't have any? And they um, and one of the things of course they talked about is this idea of study. That you study the offerings, you learn about them. And that is, um, at this time, the best that we can do. Uh, talk and think about this idea of loving and delighting in them. Um, it's hard. It is hard. And it's kind of like, and it's, it's, but it reminds me, it's like that, it's like that passage in, uh, that we're reading in our Haftar on Malachi. What's his critique? His critique says, we say, you say, you're saying to God that, you know, it's no good to serve you. Basically, it's a burden. Do I have to? And... Um, so if you read this, these passages and it's something beautiful and special to you and you can connect with Hashem through the offerings, it's, it's reinforcing that idea that God's commandments are good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's also kind of cool, of course, we learn about Eish Tamid in this portion, the idea that the fire was never supposed to go out. And uh, it's an interesting way of looking at it because, of course, if you read throughout the, the, the previous Aliyah, um, the Aliyah the portion, uh, in the Vayikra, this idea of the you put the wood on the fire, like that's such a funny concept. I think if you think about it, just like logically, um, but the idea is the intention was that the fire never went away, went out, so it wasn't like you were starting over. You're perpetuating day by day by day, and that's really the model that is supposed to be applicable in sacrifices. It's also the model that's supposed to be applicable um, with us. You know, it's like we're not supposed to start over every day, you know, start my relationship with God anew. We're supposed to be building on what happened yesterday. Um, to, to Rick's point in the Gutnik, if, if you want to get it and take a look at it, um, what you're looking at on the left side that I'm showing you in the gray box is what Rick just read at the beginning of the portion. What you see on the right-hand page is the last page of the previous portion, and it does exist for this portion, and it tells you all of the positive and negative commandments that appeared in this particular portion. And to your point, Joshua, one of the positive commandments is to kindle the fire on the altar. One of the negative commandments is not to extinguish the fire on the altar. So you, it's a, it's a daily thing, keeping it going and lighting it and so forth so it's an all the time thing and what a level of like awe that must have accompanied this the offering process i mean they like they take the ashes off you gotta put special clothes on take the ashes off they put those clothes away put in other clothes take the ashes out of the camp and they're like what about the ashes this idea that the offerings were holy i mean they talk about like if, if the offering touched something that's holy now too I mean, at the sin offering, we talked about earlier, the guilt offering, I mean, they um, talk about how imp- important it was. You, you cook it in a pot, you got to either scour the pot or possibly break it if it was clay. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it was so holy 
that it couldn't, it could, it, there were certain things that couldn't contain that holiness. They couldn't be used for normal stuff anymore after that. Well, I think we would be the same. Right. That goes to that same idea that holy books make the hands dirty. Yeah, right. And ashes make the hands clean. clean. Yeah, I agree. But that, the, the same thing is like the blood. So he's sprinkling the blood on Aaron and on his sons, and they become holy. So, Micah, did you have a comment? Mm, yeah. Uh, so if the offering touches the dead car- carcass, that means that the carcass is holy? Not in that case. In that case, it goes the other way around. So the way that the thing that we talked about, Tamei and Tekor, clean and unclean, they transfer. Um, they can transfer. They can transfer. In certain cases, unclean, however, is always more powerful than clean. And the rare exception being Messiah. That's about the only time I feel like where it seems like he's able to change things that we can't do. But it's actually kind of a big deal because later on in the prophets, they ask this question: like, so if you're, you know, uh, if you're carrying a sacrificial meat or whatever else, and you touch something it's not supposed to touch, then what happens? It's like it, it's not good anymore. This is the problem. Similarly, if you were unclean, this is in this portion, it's a huge deal to eat from the offerings. This is why the uh, Second Temple Judaism had such an aversion to letting Gentiles anywhere close to anything important in the temple because they were afraid that, you know, those of us who can't find the portion in, in, the, in the scroll would have difficulty remembering all the rules and might just show up with an offering and make the whole thing invalid. I'm not taking that personally. <laughs> it's like, wow, man, that was over the top. Ow! <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it was funny. But they, it was <laughs> funny, it is, yeah, which makes it completely acceptable. If um, I was really... <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> the, the fence that was around the court of the Gentiles that stopped them from going forward, to your point, had a sign every 10 feet or so that said, you know, you go, you go past here, and die. we'll kill you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Is there a comment coming from the couch? Oh, coming from the couch. Yes. Well, I, I would, that whole on concept of the transference of like holiness versus like uncleanliness. What's so interesting is with the blood, it's a little bit different because it's a very visible thing. Like when mm-hmm. blood gets on something, you can see it. Right. But man, like when you think about just utensils and things, just like randomly touching things, it's really kind of evidence of there being a spirit realm, like a spiritual side oh, of yeah. life that Hashem is the only one. That kind of knows, you know, which is why we have to be extra, extra careful because it's not very visible when things get unclean versus not. Um, so you always have to be watching to Absolutely. make sure, you know, seeing if something touches something else. But I think that's a, it's, it's an interesting example of like there being things that we definitely don't see that Hashem is in control of. Mm-hmm. But this is normal. We, we have this going on in our lives today. It's, it's just that we, we don't in our normal lives, don't necessarily see it. But night scopes, uh, infrared scopes, and so forth, same deal, right? So if if a warm body touches something, it's warm for a bit. And if you're looking through an infrared or a night scope, you can see that. Mm -hmm. You can see in a night scope, you can see what's moving, and you can see what's happened. You can see residual heat. Yeah, so this is is not, uh, you know, a completely foreign concept. It's just that we're not tuned in our normal vision to see it. To your point, Hashem sees it all. Uh, but I think those that are, are attuned spiritually would recognize those kind of deals. Well, 
just to be safe, once a year, let's just clean everything up. <laughs> I like it. I like exactly that. what it is. I mean, really, that's, that's what really it what it is. Like, there's just been some case. stuff that's been going on for the last year. We know we've blown it. We don't know where we blew it. Or there's who? a good chance we did. Yeah. So yeah. Just let's just case. make it all clean once a year. That's exactly right. right. That's exactly right. Absolutely. And I apologize if my if my zinger was. It's great. It was great. It was funny. It, it, it was funny. Before we go on too too far from like the beginning part, the uh, the midrash had talked about the second verse in our portion of Parshat where it just says, you know, command Aaron and his son saying, and talks about the burnt offering and everything, and the the midrash starts paralleling the verse in Psalms that says the sacrifice of God desires a broken spirit, a broken heart, and humbled, O God, you will not despise. And then it kind of goes through, and I never knew that you know. I, like, I've definitely heard in in some kind of article or something like that that Judaism has this principle of if whoever repents, the one who repents, it's as if he ascended to Jerusalem, built the temple, and he built the altar and offered all the offerings on it mentioned in the Torah. Bam! And the rabbis say, well, where do we get that from? It's this verse in Psalms in connection with this. Verse in yeah. in this uh, in ah, the portion, yeah, cool. nice. like, because after it talks about a broken and contrite spirit and a humbled person, it says, "Do good in your favor unto Zion, build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will desire the offerings of the righteous, burnt offerings and whole offerings. Then will those go up on your altar." And so it's the the part after that famous part in the Psalms that indicates where they get that whole idea of the the repenting. Very cool. Absolutely. Nice. nice. And uh, we're looking at the uh, the different offerings they've got here. I think it's also kind of, I don't know, it stood out to me, it was intriguing to me, that apparently the offerings, I think it's at the end of chapter 7, it says that these are the things that God commanded, uh, yeah, yeah, commanded Moses on Mount Sinai. Odd location, given that the tent of meeting is already up and running. Kind of makes you wonder when he's hearing this stuff. We know that the Torah is not chronological, um, exactly the context of it all. But he, he talks about this idea of there being certain offerings and certain times you can't eat certain offerings. The idea of like a Thanksgiving offering, you had to eat the same day. I think this makes so much sense. I mean, you know, if, if you, uh, it's kind of like there's a time limit on how long you can go before it's too late to say the Brakat HaMazon. It's like the idea that like if you're thankful, you should express it quickly. You know, capture that, that sentiment and express it. And so if you if you offer this Thanksgiving offering and then if you don't consume it right away, it's like, well, the time has passed. <laughs> the reason for giving it's already over. Right. We're moving on now to the next you thing. You blew it. You blew it. Um, we're going to burn up the rest of it and move on. Uh, and it's kind of like, you know, it kind of reminds me, it's like, uh, uh, it, 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 even like the little kids, you know, they, they're learning, right? They haven't quite figured out exactly the timing and all that stuff. And it's like, you know, you, but you want to remind them quickly, you know, they Taking, they're putting this present down. They're getting the next one. Like, hey, don't open that one yet. Go give so and so a hug. Tell them thank you. You know, because if you were to wait till the whole thing was over, it's like let's see if I can remember. Thanks, everyone. Doesn't have the same effect. Right. That's exactly right. Okay. We're talking about the different offerings, the peace offering and Thanksgiving offering. Did anybody see a parallel to Pesach? So there's very, there's a lot of very similar things in the peace offering. And the Pesach offering, hmm. which we're going to read about later, but hmm. they're very close. They're not exactly the same, but they're close. And the Thanksgiving offering as well. It's like these are a lot like the Pesach offering. You can't you have to has to be 
eaten that night or burned the rest of it, right? right. All of it, uh, even the offerings themselves, especially the peace offering itself, the, the category how it is falls in the same category. The Pesach falls in the same right. category. Um, the interesting thing is, though, that, that uh, Rashi actually makes this, makes this point. He says that basically the Thanksgiving offering is specifically for uh, an example. Would be, examples would be a sick person, someone who's been in prison, someone who's been on a sea voyage and is saved and not drowned, and someone who's survived the desert. And it's like, whoa, that's Passover. And that's what Rashi says. That's just like Passover. So these are these are exact. So as we and as we talk about all the prayers, we're constantly every every day we're praying through stuff that has a remembrance that we were in prison in Egypt and we were free and God through His mighty hand set us free. We're constantly going over this. Well, Passover is in the same way in these offerings. These these offerings, Thanksgiving and peace offerings, are remembrance as well. Of Passover, even though you're only doing Passover once a year. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's a good point. And that that, that yeah, you're right. You reread it over and over and over again. All the commandments are linked to the Exodus. Uh, you're supposed to remember the Exodus from Egypt every day, etc. and so forth. Um, and then also the 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 offerings, the the inauguration offerings that we get into, um, and also the Thanksgiving offerings. I think it's Thanksgiving offering. Uh, that's the same thing. Uh, this is a very visceral moment. It says you take the fat and the breast and whatever else. And you put it in the hand to the person giving the offering. I mean, that's that's going to be an experience. I don't know if you've ever handled. Well, I hope the, I'm sure a lot most, if not all of you, have handled raw meat before. Um, not warm from the body. That's true. That's its own special thing. Uh, yes, could be a little little damp still. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's interesting because it's like that's to me that that's a that's actually a special place. Yeah. It's kind of. It's a little gross, but it's more about the idea that like they have to participate in that element Absolutely. of the offering, uh, which is significant, you know. Because if you think about it, the priesthood is the one who's doing, you know, ninety percent of the work. Um, they may be slaughtering their own animal, possibly. It's kind of hard to figure out the basic translation, but the um, nonetheless, you you have a you have a time limit on what your involvement is. You don't get to touch all the offerings, but this one you do. It's like it's part. It's, and then of course the my dad loves this part. Moses waves Aaron's Amen. sons as a wave offering. Forward and backwards. Strong guy, man. <laughs> Moses was very strong. The, uh, to your point about waiting too long, it's just too late. You blew it. Right. You, you know, that's not going to work. Um, the interesting thing is that with uh, any of the Yom Tovs, any of the festivals, once a year, if you missed it, you got to wait. It's got to be that once a year. With the daily sin offerings, peace offerings, Thanksgiving offerings, and so forth, that you may personally decide to bring or need to bring, if that one didn't work because your mind was elsewhere or your intentions were wrong, you just come back the next day and do it. And that would be worth it. There's only one festival that works the same way, and it's Passover. If for whatever reason, and there's really only one, that you can't do Passover. You can't eat that Passover that night and eat it that night because you've got to burn it the next day. 30 days. But the, and you get the opportunity to do it again. And the irony is that's actually one of the 
few offerings where you wouldn't have a second chance, right? <laughs> exactly. Not like you come back the next day. I didn't do my penny stock offering again. Let me just try again now. Oops. Yeah. Oops. But there are no lambs left. Sorry. This one's so important. Yeah. The third day slayers, another opportunity, and we've seen at least two times in the scripture where that happened. Mm -hmm. Once with Solomon, and once with Naphtimon and Yosef. Uh, Solomon? Yeah, they, they had to do Passover 30 days later. Oh, right. Because okay. the priests weren't ready. Right, right, right. So, and then, of course, we saw in the in the Torah where the Sultan begins with the, right. the men right. who buried their money or whatever else. Good point. That's the first one. That's the first one. Yeah. And that one, to, to, that goes back to what we were talking about earlier, that idea of excitement about the, about the obedience. I mean, those men sought an exemption to keep the commandment. Right. I mean, we're always working the other way around, you know? Yeah. Oh, well, oh, oh I would have had to have done this, but something happened, I can't this time. We're going to have a wedding, I can break my fans. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. isn't, it, isn't it interesting that before we started a Torah walk, the, the idea was, I don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. And once we get into the Torah walk, and somebody says, so what, what, what can't you do on the Sabbath? Well, you got it all wrong. I get to keep the Sabbath. It's a blessing, and I wouldn't give it up even if you paid me, as long as you didn't pay me. <laughs> but it's also good to see too that like the you know, Judaism has these. I think this is really cool. They assign, um, and this comes from Hashem because He does this with the holidays. They assign special elements to certain certain mitzvot that you're actually excited. I don't know about you. I'm gonna miss praying. Thanking God for the creating the wind that blows and the rain that falls. Amen. We only can do that during the rainy season in Israel. Actually, you know, on Sabbath, today was the last day we would right. do that. So, you know, that you missed until that. Until Sukkot. You missed that one until, yeah, you go past, yeah, until Sukkot hits. And it's like, how cool is that? That, you know, you're praying, you know, 15 to 30 minutes minimum. And then, of course, you've got more on top of that, depending on how uh, pious, I guess, you are. And yet, we're disappointed. Oh, I had to cut that sentence out this time. I, I missed getting a chance to do that. It's like, you know, this Rath Hashem, um, and I can say this Rath Hashem because God's only in charge of everything, but we are planning to have a bris in five months, um, and it's a huge deal. Yeah, know, right? It's a huge deal to have a meal at the bris, partly because you get to pray a special stanza in the Birkat HaMazon. I mean, that, that's so great that you would intentionally try to, like, fold that in just so I can pray more, you know? And that's that idea that those men with the, with the second Passover lamb, they, or the, the second Passover celebration, that was their intent. They yeah. came, and they were like, they wanted to do more. Yeah. Why should we miss out? Right. We were doing a mitzvah. Right. Well, it just made me think the second Passover. Yeah. If you met, if I feel like it references Yeshua. If you missed Yeshua the first time, you're going to get him on the second coming. You're still doing all the commandments, right. and you're waiting. Yeah. Just like they didn't recognize Joseph the first time. Is that the time? Could that be. Everything is... Yeah. Could be. And I guess maybe to play off of that, you have to have a really good reason to have missed him the first time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was touching a dead body. That's the only thing. That's yeah. it. There's, there's or a being on a long trip. For missing that. There was certain travel you were allowed to. It was yeah. okay for. Yeah. But um, so I don't um don't want to just end the this Torah discussion to go to the haftar right now unless 
But only, if there's anything else somebody else want to throw in there, other comments? Yes, sir. I have something. Uh, in chapter 8, verse 11, it talks about uh, Moses sprinkles anointing oil on an altar seven times. He anointed the altar and all his apparatus, as well as the washstands and its base to sanctify them. He poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. And Rashi, because Rashi knows everything by heart, knows, this is great. wait, God never told him to do that. I had no idea where this came from. How did he tell him to do that? He said, God never told Moses to do this. Actually, we know this, we know this for a fact. We know there's actually, this is not a rare occasion, that sometimes we see Moses and Aaron do something that isn't previously commanded. But did God command it or not? That's the question. Wait, so which part is not the part? The whole thing or just the... Uh, it's just verse 11. Rashi pulls Rashi. out that I don't know where he said this. And actually he just says, I don't know. It just, I don't know. I give up. And it's one of the rare times he ever said Yeah, that. I don't know. But it, but actually, the reason I'm bringing it up is it brings it brings to mind, and I know that we all we all are, most of us probably embrace some vari variation of tradition and accept it as, as valid for our faith walk, you know, because... We have an understanding that tradition helps us helps us establish consistency, but this is this is a very good place to remember that sometimes there's a, there's we, we don't know everything, and in this case we don't know did God tell Moses to do this or did Moses just make it up on the fly? Well, if he made it up on the fly, which is possible, it were it wasn't it wasn't as offensive at least what is what Aaron's sons do later <laughs> making it up on the fly on the fly right. <laughs> So the, the, the point is that it's, it's understandable to say, listen, we know that God did speak to Moses, and we don't have every word recorded. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's dangerous for us to point fingers at people and say, uh, you know, that tradition's wrong uh, because it doesn't command it in Scripture. We've got to go, well, you know, true, maybe true, maybe not, but we need to be very careful and start pointing fingers if we don't adhere to a tradition. It may not be for us, but we shouldn't say God never said that because here's a case where we know God never said it. We saw God never said it. He didn't write it down, but did he say it or not? I don't know. Well, and it goes back to Paul's discussion um, when he talks about this this dichotomy. Some people are keeping more stringent requirements, Romans, Romans 16. and some people are not. Right. And his 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 instruction to them was never was was always telling both sides chill basically like mm -hmm. the person who has a higher standard respect the standard let them do that the person with the higher standard respect the person who's not keeping your standard because god's the judge of them not you right. and it's like there the idea was the harmony in the community was so much more important yeah. than which standard who's following what and to, so to your point it's like there are times where it almost feels like we don't really know exactly how we're supposed to keep this commandment and some people follow this way, and some people follow it. Even within Orthodox Judaism, yeah. there, are, there, are, there are those There's variations. There's a lot of variations, right? And especially on the things that are more nuanced, and which rabbi you follow, whatever else. So that the idea is, I mean, I, I think that when you get to, when you look at Paul's instruction, and kind of think what you get from Yeshua as well, and his instructions his discussions with the Pharisees, is he's, he tells the Pharisees, you do all this tithing, you should still do that. But... Don't forget the bigger things. It's like that community community relationship is more important than what nuance you're keeping. Most of us drove here, and right. so we, we we know that we're in doing that. We know we're breaking somebody's tradition on Shabbat. Right. Mm -hmm. It may not be our tradition, but the reason why we did is because we know there's a greater commandment. That's right. And we talked on, on Tuesday night with the men that 
you know, when you, when you, you feel compelled to point that finger and say, you know, that tradition's not being done right. Our, our goal, our command is not to be the policeman for the other people. We've got enough to deal with on our own and just to look at our own walk and mm -hmm. see where we're going. If we're going to be an example, we can be an example. Um, but that's, over the years, that's been a real watchword for me of late. Is you want to do rainbow ZT? Absolutely. At least you got ZT. Absolutely. You know? Is there a blue one in there somewhere? That's fine. Yeah, you know, that's it. So. And, 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 and in that same regard, it's, I mean, I, I'm the same way impressed more and more the older I get that a lot of times it just does not matter. It's exactly right. There's far more important things. That's right. Many, many more important things. It's just not worth the time and effort. And to your point, which you taught me years ago, it can put a division there that's completely unnecessary. Let's work on the Sometimes, sometimes the diversity is actually an opportunity for greater unity. Amen. Yeah, exactly right. And that was Paul's intent. Yeah. The idea that if, if both sides make accommodations for the other, it would actually strengthen the community rather than divide it. Right. It's like grafting. So you have different trees that come together, it makes it stronger. <laughs> Any other comments from the portion before we move on? Nine positive mitzvot, nine negative mitzvot. It's, it's, it's rare. It's even 18. Yeah, it's rare, oh. that, it, it rare <laughs> that it does that like that. So. Shimon Esrei. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so I did want to, before we get to the end here, I did want to touch briefly on the Haftar. We have a special Haftar portion. Um, and how cool was it? It's very cool. It has, sure. I know. And we got the one that's the, um, that deals with Elijah. Of course, uh, for those of you, um, anyone listening, I don't know anyone in this room is new to this, but anyone listening, of course, on Pesach, we have the Elijah cup. Pesach is tied to Elijah, Big Eliyahu. Um, and this idea that Eliyahu will come and hearken the end or whatever else around Pesach, um, which is, of course, then uh, interesting that, if I remember correctly, this person's done all the math and everything, and John the Baptist would have been born mm -hmm. at Pesach. Correct. So that's cool. Oh, and, the irony. And knowing that, the mass was born at Sukkot. Or right around then. Or they were so. six months off in reverse. All right. right. <laughs> but the point is that if that is the case, then it's like there's this other tie-in, John the Baptist being being Elijah, so to speak, um, and even fulfilling those small details, like coming, so to speak, on Passover. Joshua, while you're flipping to it, um, again, for those who are not familiar with the Chumash, or Chumash, depending on how you pronounce it, the five books of Moses in one book, uh, or in five smaller volumes, um, the Haftarah is listed at the end of the portion. It tells you what page it's on in the back of the book. So while you only have the Torah, you actually have all of the uh, Haftarot in the back. And for, for the case of Tzav and some others, where it may coincide with a special um, festival or something, there's normally multiple page numbers, uh, as it says at the end of this one, where, you know, if this is uh, just Sav, then go to page 297, but if it's, uh, it happens to be Shabbat Hagadol, then we go over to this one, there's a third one on this one, I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but um, Rosh Kodesh. Rosh Kodesh. Um, 
But if you go to the back of your Chumash and just look at all of the, the Haftarot readings, they're in the order of the portions. Mm. But when you get to the last one, then you start all the special holidays and stuff. And uh, you know, go through uh, Parsha uh, Zakor, uh, because that's a special Shabbat. And then after that, uh, Parah and the four for Pesach, and then Shabbat Hagadol. So they're all in there. You, with, with a Chumash, you always have, even if it's a festival, you always have the portion reading as well as the Haftarah, mm -hmm. even if it's a special reading. Right. Right. And so the Haftarah this week being from Malachi, because it's special for Shabbat Hagadol. Um, so one thing that says to me in a reading, the very beginning of it, it says that. Um, Says, I shall approach you for judgment, and I will be an urgent witness against the sorcerers, the adulterers, those who swear falsely, those who withhold the wage of the labor, widow, orphan, pervert the judgment of the stranger, and do not fear me. So this list is a quick rundown of various sinful people um, that, that God seems to indicate is in, is in his people. And he's going to single them out specifically for judgment. And if you look at the list, it looks very similar to the list that shows up in Revelation. Um, if you go to the I think it's the last chapter. Twenty-two. The point is that it's like towards the very end, and God says on the on the outside of the city, uh, John is right now. The outside city are the, the murderers and the adulterers and anyone who loves and tells a lie and so on and so forth. It's very similar to this list, um, which this list also looks similar to some of the lists that Paul throws together. These people have no part in the kingdom, you know. So. Um, you know, for those of uh, those who get, get a little bit of James action in here with the widow and the orphan, right? Well, and also the withholding the wage of the labor, which yeah. also shows up in uh, in chapter five. That's right. So this idea of um, this this idea that somehow, uh, oh oh, you know, I I attended church or I raised my hand or I was born Jewish or whatever it might be that that's the you know um, the excuse, excuse to do whatever you want uh, does not fly. God is not okay with that. And actually, his standard's pretty high because some of these things, it's like, oh, no, no sorcerers, adulterers. Okay, threw away that, you know, threw away the, the, the spell book, thank goodness. And, uh, you know, so there's a couple things. I, but then, like, you know, those who swear falsely, like, that's, uh, there's, I think a lot of people have slipped up on that one. Um, and then things like, uh, even, even things like perverting the judgment of the stranger uh, can happen, these types of, basically not being good to people who are uh, in a disadvantage in the community or and, different or different and then of course the last ones do not fear me and and that one i think really spreads quite a bit um way way back you can maybe find it in the archives from many years ago there was a uh, study class and the idea of fearing hashem and loving hashem and that they're both like wings of the bird you have to have both of them together um Josh that's yes that's yeah, right. Joshua Nunez did that. It's online. It's online, um, and this idea though that like fearing Hashem is, is critical in in your relationship with God. So, in other words, I guess the point of this little discussion here is that God has there are things that matter to God, and there are serious consequences for not keeping some of these this book. In the Gudnik, um, in verse six, for I God have not changed. In your version, it probably stops there. But in the Gudnik, they add, For I, God, have not changed my mind. I still hate evil. <laughs> right. Which is cool. Right. All people want to tell you that that has happened. Um, and then, of course, uh, he then goes on to discuss um, 
what are you doing in your relationship? And people are saying, well, it's not, we're not, you know, we're, how are we doing this? And uh, he mentions the offerings. Um, interestingly enough, this, this verse here says, test me now thereby. It's verse 10. The, the sages say this is the only time, basically, you're allowed to test God. There's, of course, this idea in the, in the um, Torah that testing Hashem by the people of Israel was a very bad idea. did not work out so well. Um, and there's actually, uh, Yeshua highlights this in his discussion with Hasatan, this idea like, you, you shall not test the Lord your God. He quotes. But this is one of the rare occasions where you can um, test God to, in a sense to, to dare him to do what he said he would do, uh, which he will do, which is very cool. Almost something of a guarantee kind of thing going on there. Um, he, they also comment here. I, I thought this was neat. So, and I feel like we this, we talked about this a little bit. I think in the in the uh, in Book of James uh, Tuesday night, we're discussing this idea that James is pulling uh, a lot from Psalm thirty seven, and James and Psalm thirty seven are talking about this idea of, of not um, of envying the evildoer, wanting to do the evildoers um, things or wanting to benefit like they do. And, uh, and you get this idea here in, in this, the passages. They say, so now we praise wanton sinners. Those who did evil were even built up, and they've even tested God and been spared. And this, and this, this sentiment, um, you know, David keys in on this multiple times throughout the Psalms, talks about this idea, when will you judge the righteous? You know, and in one of the Psalms of the day, I think it's the Psalm of the day for Wednesday, he they calls out to God. He says, God of vengeance, appear, you know, judge the earth. And he talks about this idea that they're not the wicked are acting like they get away with it. And then he follows up, and this is such a brilliant comment, because he says, um, the God who made ears, shall he not hear? The God who made eyes, shall he not see? And it's like, the God who judges nations, is he not going to rebuke? So the um, this principle, this idea that, that somehow sinners get away with it, you know, the, the, you know, the, old, the old saying, um, no rest for the righteous and the sinners don't want any. No rest for the weary and the wicked, and the weird and the and no rest for the weary and the wicked don't want any. Well, yeah, the idea that somehow there was a that was a as a, uh, a response to the idea that there's no rest for the wicked. Mm. Somehow say, well, we don't want it anyway. You know, I'm going to party with my friends in hell. <gasps> that that kind of idea. And um, not going to work that way. Not going to work that way. Mm. You know, and 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 even today, Judaism's response to this is, I think is so brilliant. I think it actually comes from the Psalm of the Day for Shabbat. Um, can you tell me like the Psalms of the Day? I like the Psalm mm -hmm. of the Day. Um, my dad would always have us do Psalm of the Day on Sundays. We pray together, which is cool. So they would do this um, in, in, that, in that Psalm. It talks about this idea of um, the wicked receiving benefits so that you will judge them forever. And Judaism teaches that the wicked receive their, their good this, in this life so that in the next life, God only has judgment left. They don't get any benefits then. Whereas the, the righteous oftentimes pay for their sins in this life so that God then can only bless Nothing them bless. in the next one. Oh. Isn't that cool? So anyway, so this idea that, um, that somehow God's going to, you know, I think the next verse, as soon as we get done with that, it can cut off to the people who are saying, oh, God, isn't, God is a judge of sinners. They get away with it. The oh. next verse, he says, then those who fear Adonai spoke to one another. Adonai listened. Which is very cool. This is actually a basis for the Pharisaic belief. 
and arbor there. There is judgment for the wicked, and there is blessing for the righteous. That to disbelieve either of those mm-hmm. is is a great sin, as Hurst defines in this. Mm-hmm. And and I mean, we, we we can go through and we can list in your mind. You probably already know whole lists of Christian denominations that there's really no hell or there's really no punishment, annihilation, all those things. And it was a fair safe belief that, and it's hard to find someplace in the scripture other than Isaiah 66 and Revelation uh, 22 that there is a eternal, there's an eternal punishment. It's hard to find it. Mm-hmm. But Malachi is one of those places where you will say that the righteous will be punished yeah. and the wicked will be will be blessed, period. No. The righteous will. Actually, actually no, I, you know, I would they put get, myself in the category, I was a wicked, and he's going to bless me instead. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. The point and is. now he calls me righteous, I don't deserve it. Yeah. Right, but, but you can then you get the blessing. But there is a veil in this question. Absolutely. David's asking this question. But it's different, though. But David, I think, is so good about this. If you read the Psalms, his Psalms almost never end with a question. They always catch this idea that the question is always tied to the belief that I don't get it, but God's going to do it. Yeah. And, and we're, uh, we're reading Dare to Discipline right now. You know, so you know, <laughs> Shocker. Um, uh, Spank them uh, off. Right, yeah. love that idea. But one of the things that he, that he points out in the book is that you need to, that punishment and reward need to be close to the action. Otherwise, the connection between them gets lost. And so, really, if you think about it, what God does with us is actually a pretty strong test. He, he, there's, a, there's a distance between punishment for sin and blessing for, for, for righteousness, and it's really an act of faith. If you don't have faith, I goes back to James, right? If you don't have faith, why would you do right. the good stuff? Because you have to believe that God's going to reward you for doing Amen. the right thing. Right. You don't see it right away. Jo- uh, Rabbi Gintel in his discussion on the book of Joshua, talks about this idea that, I think I mentioned this before, you know, all the people of Israel get a moment of prophecy at the Red Sea because they saw God's judgment in a clear way. And that and that moment at the end of time, there's a reason why at the end of time, the prophets, they talk over, Malachi talks over and over and over again, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is not a fun time. The day of the Lord is when God comes in and he pours out his wrath on the wicked. And this is fantastic. I mean, it's scary, it is awe-inspiring, but it is a revelation of God because in that moment, there is no possible way to argue that there is no God or that God doesn't care. It is the... It or, is a, or that he will not punish the wicked. Right, it is a visible stamp that this... He is God, he is in charge, and his teachings, his word is true. Yeah. And that's why it's going to be such a magnificent moment in I'm, so, in, I'm reading Hebrews. Oh, sorry. sorry. I pointed maybe in the wrong direction. Point Go, ahead. Go ahead. Um, and he's talking about, my son, don't despise the chastening of the Lord, mm. which comes from Proverbs. And he says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's that same concept that the punishment will come, whether it's now or later. If you're a son, it will come now. And um, Which is a sign. If you're not being chastened. Yeah, you should The, the <laughs> sages speak of this time uh, as like a vestibule or a foyer, right? You know, we, mm-hmm. we read this before and talked about it, that 
this world, this present age, is like we're in this vestibule or, or foyer on our way into a great banquet hall. And the only time we have to actually perform mitzvot or to keep the commandments is while we're here waiting to go in there. Because once we go in there, you can't keep any mitzvot. Mm -hmm. You can't. It's, that time's passed. So that's why the sages say we need to run to keep as many mitzvot as possible because now is the only time we can. Right. And when he comes, everybody out of the pool, we're done. Absolutely. And I was going to just um, rather real quick dive into our um, Hebrews passage. Because you're talking about, or it gives me you're thinking about this idea again, we talk about the delight and the joy and the right. commandments and each of good. And I just wanted to comment real quick on the Hebrews passage because I think that sometimes if you read the book of Hebrews, um, and haven't done my dad's study, you're missing out. You need to do that. Amen. Um, you could read, just read the book of Hebrews. It would be good. You should, read, you should read my dad's study because you find that when you read the book of Hebrews, sometimes the translator isn't putting what's actually in the book of Hebrews. On Which we're going to be talking about in a few weeks in the, uh, in the study class but on the, Tuesday night. But the point is that sometimes you read the book of Hebrews and snippets like we do oftentimes with the, with the apostolic reading. You sometimes get the sense almost that the book of Hebrews is missing. Like they're almost opposed to the, the commandments or the, or the, or the sacrifices. And that, well, Yeshua is so much better, so good thing I can do that anymore. <laughs> yeah. But actually, if you read through this week's portion, you get so much the opposite of that. That's I right. think that, like he says, he specifically calls out and says that, um, you know, if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a red heifer would sanctify the flesh, it's like, he doesn't, he's not saying if in the sense like, well, if that really happens, then how much more? Well, you know, he's, he's using it to prove it worked. the efficacy of Messiah. So, in other words, he's saying, well, this since, definitely... Since it did do yeah. this, how much more? How much more? Right. So, but he doesn't dismiss it. He's actually lifting it up and saying, yes. even greater is Messiah. When he talks about the blood, he says the blood is not, you know, even the first covenant was not inaugurated that blood. And then he goes through and he lists in minute detail. And Moses took the hyssop and the red thread and all the, you know, and sprinkled the blood. And it's like... He intentionally includes all that. And even that we just talked about this idea that in going through the details of the sanctuary and the, the, and the tabernacle of the, the items, the furniture, it's like this man was not only aware of these things, but it's like it meant something to him. You know, you don't, you know, Judaism has this idea that God would count his people all the time because he loved them so much. He kept wanting, it's like a rich man counting his money. So the writer of Hebrews, he knows the details, and that means, and, and, and he or uses she. them. He, well, <laughs> he, he, maybe. Um, I'll say he in Hebrew sense, we can be generic. Um, he wrote, he, he's obviously someone who appreciates the Torah. And so rather than denigrate it, he's, he's, he's really simply trying to elevate Messiah out of that. And, um, and so to the end of this portion, he says, as talking about that he's not like Yom Kippur, he's not offered up every year. Um, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And I think it's such a great question, or answer to the question, why is there Messiah? You know, I think that if you read the, if you read the Torah, you've pointed out, this past, this past week, the week before, it's out of class, over and over and over again, forgiveness of sins. You do this, you offer this offering, the sins are forgiven. And there's this, it's almost like, well, why, why do you do need, need Messiah? Himself? So it just helps us. We don't have to offer so many offerings. That's nice. Save us some money. Okay, great. So one replacement, you know, yeah, it's a good yeah. thing. Yeah. It's like a lot sort of, of sheep. You know, but the, the book of Hebrews is saying, it's a completely different plane. These offerings are tied to physical 
forgiveness and cleansing. Messiah is the spiritual ultimate level. But then also, in addition to that, this idea that Messiah comes at the end of the age for all time. You know, Judaism teaches this idea that Messiah is from the beginning of the world. Spirit on the waters is the spirit of Messiah in Genesis. But Messiah's death, as it says, slain from the foundation of the world, his death is effective throughout the Torah. That the Torah wasn't given... It's efficacious. Right, it's efficacious then. Yes. It's not the idea that, you know, good thing that, that Abraham offered offerings, because if he hadn't offered offerings, then wouldn't it worked out so well? Not related. The idea that Nothing somehow these offerings were, I've heard the term promissory notes. No. You know, it's like, we'll offer the offering now, don't worry, God's going to cash in those chips later. That was nothing to do with this. God's not a poker player. Well, right. <laughs> but also, yeah, right, exactly. But also, more important than that, it's like, does that it's not, not play with that, that, that argument diminishes the value of Messiah. Amen. If Messiah could even be place held mm. by a lamb, yeah. then we miss the point yeah. of or Messiah's if we, offering. Or if we, if we equate the blood of bulls and goats with the blood of Messiah, not only have we denigrated it, that's blasphemous. Absolutely. Because the two are completely unrelated. And the, and the blood of Messiah is the ultimate one that brings us to that relationship with God. So because of Messiah's death 2,000 years ago, everything up until that point was truly forgiven. There was a relationship that was possible with God, between God and his people, and it continues from here on forward. It's not like it only worked from then on. Right. And, of course... We read in the scriptures that he was slain from the foundation of the world. Right. It's been efficacious all along. All along. I, the, the concept that his, I, I just, I don't like the wording, to say that the blood of bulls and goats and the sacrifices we read about were for the physical here and now so that we could draw near to the wonderful presence, the physical presence of God in the temple, that's absolutely true. But then to say, well, the blood of Messiah was, was spiritual. <laughs> to me, when we say that, we have many in the church that want to spiritualize oh, yeah. these, these things and say, well, see, that was sort of like this. So that makes this perfectly perfect. No, I, that meant that, literally. Right. It's not just to make you kind of think fuzzy things about that, which I think of spiritualized. Right. It's a different realm. It's a different time. This is in this time. This is for the time of the world to come. But this was for now so that we could draw near to him physically right. while he was here. This is so that I can have a place in the world to come and has nothing to do with this. Right, exactly. Because even if we're covered by and healed, if you will, by the blood of Messiah and have a place in the world to come, we still must perform those physical sacrifices in that third temple that we might draw near to him. Amen. Then. Right. Nothing to do with the two so in our days. And, and, Amen. But, and then to your point, as we're talking about here, it was he came into the age for all time. So that means it's not just about the world to come. Yeah. I, I see it as the Messiah's death and resurrection, his sacrifice, is efficacious 
not just so I can enter the world to come, this is that my relationship with Hashem is possible. Amen. When you look at, Amen. if you look at even in Exodus, I mean the the midrash uh, on Exodus, in Exodus it's talking about this idea that there would be a guy, a, a righteous one, a righteous one, king. that would stand in the gap. Yes. He would be the one taken on behalf of the nation That's right. to redeem the nation because the nation is not worthy. That's right. The only reason why those offerings are even really possible to enter the presence of God is because of what Messiah is, so that makes a relationship with God even possible in the first place. But then, that having been done, as we're going back to what we're talking about with Micah, now we have relationship. If you go up to a complete stranger and say, will you forgive me, he will look at you cross-eyed. But if you go up to someone who loves you that you've offended and say, will you forgive me, then hopefully, if they're, if they're, if they're right with God, they will forgive you. Mm -hmm. And the same, it's the same thing here is going on. The, the, the offerings were not to create the relationship with God, they were an expression of it. And to your point, at the end, we will look forward to doing that. That's why we're reading it now. We're excited. Absolutely. Take notes. Absolutely. Well, what, what are the mysterious forces that keep the atom together? They should fly apart. And it is actually the very act that you're talking about. It's for all time. The idea that he did something and it had an effect going forward, or even had an effect retroactively, is false. Mm -hmm. It is a lesson, actually, in Colossians, Paul tells us, that it, he actually holds everything together. The notion is, I mean, it's at the very, it's at the molecular level. It is in every regard, physical, spiritual, without him having done what he did, there would be no world. That's right. Mm -hmm. Amen. Hmm. There would be no opportunity for sin. Or opportunity for repentance. That's right. So when the men and women uh, went into the tabernacle and into the uh, temple, later into the temple, to offer these offerings, it was because of Messiah that they were actually able to even repent. That's right. Right. And then in that expression... And worship. In that expression, they had the opportunity to meet with God mm -hmm. physically. And it was... We read, and we're reading. We've begun the inauguration ceremony here. Next week's Torah portion in Kedeshim, you get this. They God accepts the offering, sends fire from heaven. Everyone's like, <gasps> hits the deck, you know, in awe, bowing down. This was awesome. This experience with God was special. You know, we talked earlier about we don't see the jet, the right, the punishment of the wicked and the reward of the righteous as much. So it's difficult world. to believe. It's like we also don't see God. But when you get it, you have those moments where you saw just a glimpse, just a little, through a glass darkly, picture of God is real and he just acted on my behalf or on Amen. someone else's behalf in the physical world. And as we get into this, um, into Pesach, it's a good thing to keep in mind as well. This is the time God intervenes. You know what that makes me think of just personally? I think I have to be wary of feelings, of giving too much weight Feelings of the moment type of a thing, instead of like looking beyond that, just the like all the feelings, but there's this thing, this promise, and enjoy the city form, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, the promise is real, reality versus my right. feelings right. about the whole thing. That's right. <laughs> right. And so imagine if, imagine if you could somehow marry some of that promise, that faith, to reality. This is the offerings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good job. All righty. Mr. Martin, would you close this out in prayer? Sure. 
Father, we're thank thankful that you, uh, you came and provided a way for us to draw close to you for all time. Uh, we pray, Father, for our week ahead, especially for our seders tomorrow night, that uh, we would see you on every page of the seder. Give us a good rest of our Sabbath today, Father, we pray. Thank you also that Joshua's uh, taking the time to uh, walk us through your word today. We thank you for the time that he put in to, uh, uh, to lead us through. We pray all these things. May we show the Messiah. Amen. Amen. Thank you.